Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. One of the better documentaries you'll see all year. This is one. This is certainly an amazing documentary about something you probably never even heard of. the The film is called Command and Control. the uh, The director is Robert Kenner, and he's uh, basically the story is on the evening of September eighteenth, nineteen eighty. Airman David Powell and Jeffrey Plum were performing routine maintenance on a Titan II silo in Damascus, Arkansas. Something went terribly wrong, and a good chunk of America might have been radioactive if things hadn't played out the way that they did. But an amazing story, and we're joined, as I said, by the director of this remarkable film, Command and Control, Robert Kenner. Robert, welcome to Film School. Great to be here, Mike. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I Just as I said in the introduction, um, I don't think anyone really, beyond a handful of people, even knew what happened and why. Uh, why don't we just start there? What happened uh, on yeah. September 18, well, 1980? I, I think, you know, it, it, there, this incident was in the news. Uh, you, I have clippings from network news shows and local news shows. But the fact that the warhead that sat on top of that Titan II, uh, which was more powerful than all the bombs that were used in World War II, including Hiroshima and Nagasaki, times three. Uh, so uh, this warhead, if it had gone off, would have been the most massive explosion. Uh, the Air Force had done maps uh, saying if something had hit Washington, part of Boston would be taken out. Uh, so the fact is, what was known and what was talked about on the evening news was that a missile exploded, that an airman made a mistake. It wasn't the Air Force that made a mistake. It was just that someone made a mistake and there was uh, a missile itself exploded, which was a massive explosion, but nothing like a nuclear explosion. Um, if the public had known uh, what was really at stake, and if the news media had known, it would have been a massive. It would have been the biggest story of the decade. <clears throat> but yeah. uh, that was never known to the American public. Well, and the, the funny thing is, is uh, in and I know this is not an apples to apples comparison, but it was only a year or so earlier that we had gone through Three Mile Island. So the uh, the country's sort of antenna is up about the the issues surrounding nuclear power. And really not much in terms of the consequences of an arsenal of nuclear weapons, but it certainly would have fueled that kind of concern would you would you agree with that uh, well look at I, I think it would have it would have been massive concern if we had really known what was at stake, and that was hidden from the American public. One of the ironies of this technology is that um, you know, it's so dangerous and so powerful that you don't want your enemies to know about it, mm-hmm. uh, and for good reason. Uh, but, you know, the problem is it's then kept secret from the American 
public. And the irony is I think the Russians knew much more about our arsenal than the American public knew. Right. And I don't know how far down the road of explaining all the specifics of this incident that are that are showcased in command and control. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the actual incident that that created this explosion, if you yeah. don't, don't mind. Yeah. What we set out to do was to make a clock movie, Mike, uh, that this is really about 10 hours, that these two airmen are performing routine maintenance. One of them uh, drops a socket from a wrench. It's about an eight-pound socket. It falls about eight stories. Uh, They say it's a million-to-one shot that it would fall and hit the missile, but it hits the missile, uh, causing great damage to the missile, and then the clock starts. What will happen to the warhead on top of that missile? And it's now um, everybody is brought in, including the... um, We we interviewed everybody that was connected to this uh, incident that night, from the man who drops the socket to the men who were in the command center who turned the keys that could possibly wipe out a city and part of the Rus- a Russian civilization. That's uh, what he says, yeah. And uh, then there's also the commander and the, the SAC commanders and the secretary of defense uh, are all sort of interviewed from uh, the film talking about what they're going to do over the next 10 hours. And they're, it's, it's a terrifying, um, scary uh, look at this incident and how to defuse it. And it's really acts of heroism of men who go in, risk their lives uh, to help save the warhead from exploding. It is, and I'm going to echo your uh, your your uh, thoughts on this in the sense that it is a thorough, and I mean thorough, investigation uh, into this. I don't know if investigation is the right word, but certainly telling the story of this incident in Damascus, Arkansas. You have a lot of archival footage. Uh, and you also have some what I would say were are obvious reenactments. You obviously know there was no one there to film some of this. Uh, and I've, I said to you off air, I have don't think I've ever seen a documentary that is more seamless in your in your ability to meld the the actual footage with the footage that was obviously or the things that were reenacted. And and I say that as it's a it's a supreme compliment from uh, as far as I'm concerned because it. It allows us to get a full measure of just what was going on. And as you said, the heroism involved in so many of the people who went into that silo to save what, I mean, maybe millions of lives were, were at stake. So um, congratulations. Well, we got we got to shoot in a uh, – there's one remaining Titan II silo. It's a museum outside of uh, Tucson that's run jointly by the Air Force and the museum. And it took a lot of work to get in there. Uh, but once we got in, we really got total cooperation. It's an absolute – all 54 of our silos were absolutely identical. So you could put someone in Kansas or Arkansas or Arizona, um, and they wouldn't know the difference between one silo. Once you're in the ground, they're absolutely the same. Uh, and there is one remaining, and we got to shoot there. So our footage is, you know, as – authentic is the Air Force reenactment footage that they used to shoot there uh, 40 years ago. Uh, and, you know, we had the same magazines, the, everything. <laughs> the computers that ran those systems were basically, 
you know, the earliest possible computers. Actually, today, the computers that run our Minuteman uh, missiles are about 1,000 times less powerful than our the iPhone sitting in my pocket at the moment. So uh, it was very old technology. Um, it's an amazing location so that we could, in effect, do this thriller set in this location and go shoot in a way that, I've, you know, to be able to do a documentary as a techno thriller is a really fun, exciting challenge. I bet. I bet it was, I bet it was thrilling to be in a silo alongside one of these Titan missiles. I'm sure that it is it, it scary, horrifying, and amazing all at the same time. Yeah, it was. We got to put a drone between the missile and the wall that's four and a half feet away, uh, and you know how often that was pretty amazing. We got mm-hmm. to actually help recreate some of the accident. I thought I was going to do so much of the work in computer graphics, but we ended up doing it all in camera. Well, uh, uh, well, a high five to your team. On this one, because uh, honestly, uh, this it's it it makes it such an enjoyable. Uh, one of the reviewers said, "What was it that they said? This was uh, a, a remarkably morbidly fun to watch in the in a manner of a good re- suspense thriller and disaster films. <laughs> Despite all of the things that were at stake in this incident, it is a, right. it's a fun movie to watch. I, I mean, it really is. Uh, the fact that we're not all radioactive is a testament to, you know, the outcome of it. But um, it is, uh, yeah, it's, you did a fantastic job. And the storyline and bringing all these different uh, elements, these different voices in, uh, just told such a, a, a rich story around the film. Um, we're speaking with Robert Kenner, the director of the film Command and Control. It is opening today as we speak, and that would be September 30th. Uh, yourself and the author of the book on this incident, that would be Eric Schlosser, will be with you tonight at the New Art Theater for the, uh, for the 7.30 screening uh, and tomorrow night as well. You'll be doing a Q&A. It sounds like you'll be doing a Q&A after the 7.30 screening at the New Art tonight and tomorrow night. Is that? Do I have that correct? That, that's correct. We'll be there uh, after 7.30 screening at Newark, Friday and Saturday night. And we play all, uh, we'll be there all week, and hopefully with the good reviews we're getting, we'll last a little longer. I know you got a great review in the L.A. Times, uh, and you and the, the reviews, I think you're at 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, who, I don't want to know who that guy is that said it was <laughs> <laughs> said something right. back. I want to know who he is or she is. Uh, but he thought, I, he thought I had a missile fetish. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I want to. I'll also let our, our our listeners know that you're responsible for two or three of the best documentaries of the last few years, and that would be Food Inc. as well as Merchants of Doubt, uh, and uh, two amazing, great documentaries. And so you've you've hit the trifecta with this one. Um, uh, what did you what did you learn that like it reassured you and what did you learn in making this film that scared the the, the what out of you yeah it's i mean that listen on some levels there's this amnesia that's overtaken us you know like when i was a kid we were really concerned by the cold war yeah. uh we used to duck under desks to protect us from uh atomic weapons uh actually the guys who designed these weapons said in the early 50s they had fallout shelters by the mid 50s they realized those fallout shelters would be a lot better put to use as wine cellars <laughs> um because there was nothing that's going to protect them yeah uh you know but in the 80s 
there was a big anti-nuke movement, yeah. and it, there were huge demonstrations, you know, in New York and around the world, and those demonstrations really affected um, President Reagan and Gorbachev, and there were 70,000 nuclear weapons in the 1980s, Between, which is absolutely insane. I mean, yeah. you know, 20 of these can blow up the planet. Um, how many do you need? Uh, how many times do we have to blow up the planet? And as you see in our film, these things are as much a danger to the people who have them as they are to an enemy. Yeah. Um, and I think what I realized, you know, the scariest thing is the fact that we don't even think about them. We've put them out of our mind, yeah. and yet they're, it's the most important issue we don't think about. So yeah. I thought, rather than making a medicine movie, let's go make an entertaining movie about a subject we don't want to think about. And I know in the 80s there was a film uh, the day after that Reagan saw, and he called up Gorbachev and said, let's negotiate yeah. after watching it. So hopefully yeah. we can you know, get people motivated to think about this and not have the decisions whether we uh, spend a trillion dollars to update our systems without anyone talking about it. And I think it's too important for the American public not to be engaging in these kind of conversations. I could not agree more. Uh, 32,000 nuclear weapons on the part of the U.S. at the time this accident happened. We're down to about 7,000, which you said it rightfully is multiple times overkill. It's, it's unbelievable that we have even that many, and the world is getting freaky over Kashmir right now between India and Pakistan. We, It's not just us who is capable of ending the world. We have other countries in this, on this planet <laughs> that are capable of doing us all in as well, so it's a worldwide issue. It, you know, the fact is this film is critical of the Air Force on that night, as are many of the men in the Air Force as well speak yeah. that way. Yeah. But the fact is we probably do a better job, despite how terrifying this film is, yeah. we'd probably do a better job at maintaining these things than anyone else in the world. If you look at industrial accidents, we're vastly better. So you can yeah. only imagine what it's like for the Russians and or the Pakistanis or the Indians. So uh, it's a issue... That it's a worldwide issue, and it's uh, people think these weapons are symbols of power, but they're really machines that can go wrong and have incredibly bad consequences if they do go wrong. Go see this movie. It's at the New Art this week. Uh, the film is Command and Control. Uh, Robert Kenner and Eric Schlosser. I always do that. Schlosser will be at the screening, the 7.30 screening tonight and tomorrow night. Do a Q&A. It's there all week. See this film. You can go to commandandcontrolfilm.com to find out more about this and the screenings and all the rest of it. Robert Kenner, I've been hoping and praying that I could get you on the show for a while. Thank you so much for being here on Film School, and I look forward to all of your work. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mike. It was a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.